You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocals for Cryptopsy, and you're listening to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope that you've had a great week. I hope that you're ready for the weekend. I am. Last night was epic. Again, of course, I am loving these, the Vox and Hops Thirsty Thursday Virtual Hangs. Cheers to everyone that was there. I'm super stoked for next week already. I love this group. I love what has come from it. I love our connections. I love the sense of community that we've built. So a massive shout out to absolutely everyone for being there. Massive shout out to Yolai for hosting last week's after party. Um, stoked about that. Thank you so much, Yolai. On today's episode, I am with Mary Zimmer, the vocalist of Helion Prime and the Voice Hacks YouTube channel. So here it is. Get ready. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 146. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with Mary Zimmer from Voice Hacks, the YouTube channel, and Helion Prime. It is uh, great to finally catch up with you. Uh, you are someone that I've been following on YouTube since uh, early summer last year, and someone that's been on my radar that I've been wanting to have an interview with. But before the pandemic hit, I would never, ever consider doing a interview-based over the internet so i'm happy that we can hook up now if not i would have had to go to vegas and have an interview there which i've only played vegas once so and it wasn't a good show oh wow yeah so yeah this is really unique to be able to do this it's uh you know covid19 has brought many things and that's the ability to grab everyone while they're at home so <laughs> yeah exactly you can catch people in the right now they're not going anywhere they can't <laughs> <laughs> right, they can't. So, how how are you? But uh, thanks for having yes, me. Yes, of course. Oh, thanks. I'm great. Thank you for having me so much. I really love your podcast, and I think it's really neat the Vox and Hops idea. So, I'm I'm stoked to be on it. This is great. Thank you, thank you. Uh, let's touch on social isolation. I know that you are a very busy YouTuber, uh, so you're probably at home just as much as usual. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird. My job has not changed and uh, nothing. In fact, I've only gotten busier with lessons uh, since this has started. So it's a it's a, a blessing, thankfully, you know, because I'm still employed, which is cool. But it's like I don't I've been doing all the lessons on Skype for five years now. So I never am in the same room with anybody ever. So as long as everybody's feeling good, I mean, they're just, they're still coming, you know, um, and uh, some people, they have more time to work on their vocals. Like they were, I have a lot of people who are supposed to be on tour that they're not on tour. And so they're doing their lessons and stuff. So it's been crazy. And yeah, I've been busier than ever. Like, I think I'm the only one who's not like resting in the pandemic. So I feel fortunate though. It's it's a lucky thing. I think uh, YouTubers and people like me that have been using it to conduct interviews are very busy if they're attacking their time properly. Yes, exactly. Take me back to your youth. A classic Vox and Hops question. Uh, what was the soundtrack of your youth when you were growing up? What music was playing in your house when you were not in control of the music? What, oh, and I was not in control of the music? Okay, well, fortunately, my parents, who are not musicians at all, 
Um, had really good taste in music, though, for from like the 60s and the 70s. They're a little bit, they definitely would be boomer generation, you know. And so they had a kick-ass record collection, which was really cool. And so they had great taste. Um, and definitely they were like huge Beatles fans, but also, um, you know, it was the 80s and the 90s. So there was a lot of, like my parents really loved Chicago. They're from Chicago. So there's a lot of Chicago. Um, they liked America. They liked Elton John. Um Gosh, but they had all the great records, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, you know, everything. So even though um, they were not at all musicians, we actually had good music, cool music in our house growing up, which is a surprise, I think. They they had good friends around them, maybe, that were influencing them. Yeah, you know, I mean, plus, though, I think like mainstream rock in the 60s and the 70s from when they grew up was you know, like that's all you had. It wasn't like now where you have like an underground and you have a mainstream. It's just like that is the band, Led Zeppelin or whoever, you know. So uh, if you like music at all from those decades, I think you'd have a pretty decent record collection, I think. So. But the, yeah, they didn't listen to ba- bad bands like Bread or Air Supply. So, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what band was your first band? What that was uh, your special band that was yours that wasn't anyone else's? Well, definitely that would have come along more in the nineties, you know, when at when, you know, uh definitely like I discovered like bands with long hair and <laughs> things like that. And I think um probably Alice in Chains, maybe, you know, if I have to think back to one of the first heavy bands that was really uh, definitely though the the misfits like Michael Graves misfits. Uh, I was a little more into um, punk and ska and things before I got into metal. Um, um, and then once I found metal, I was like, oh, this is what I always wished that this would just push over into the whole time. <laughs> so yeah, I I definitely was guilty of doing the '90s ska a little bit too. So ska is fun. It could be fun. The yeah. hideous dance, that skank dance. You just, it's just oh my God, it's so terrible. unattractive. <laughs> I saw a meme that said, um, ska music is what plays in a 13-year-old's head when they get extra mozzarella sticks. Yes, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would be that, that first metal band? Um, okay, so when I got into metal, um, it was... Honestly, the goopy European stuff, you know, the operatic Nightwish and well, Nightwish and the Gathering were like the gateway because um, I was only a classical singer when I first started, actually, which is just really weird now, considering that I don't very much do that on albums at all. Um, I'll do it. It depends on the project, I guess. But uh, um, for the most part, I don't. I prefer not to. And um the thing is, though, I couldn't do anything else. And the first time I heard, like, Taria with Nightwish, I was like, oh, my God, this is not only an opera singer in a heavy band, but, like, an actual opera singer, not, like, um, someone kind of being mislabeled. Like, it was for real. So it sounded like the way that I sounded, you know? So I was like, wow, this is so cool. But then the other things that completely got me almost exactly around the same time 
was um, at the gates. I mean, Slaughter of the Soul was like a life, like a life changing for me because that's the first time I heard somebody convey with their vocals like that much, like Thomas Lindbergh, like big, big influence on me. Like the, like the, the, I feel like you cannot convey that kind of pain. Like when he'd be like, nauseating pain, you know, I'd be like, <laughs> ah, like, it'd be like so good. Cause you could like feel it, you know what I mean? Like, ah, like it just was like so good. And um, then also too, definitely when uh, Wages of Sin came out and um, just the opening riffs, you know, Arch Enemy, like, you know, and, the, and I, I went and I, I saw, I either played at, I think I played at the same one, like the very first tour they did with Angela in the States. Um, my first terrible shitty band, um, we played at the same Milwaukee Metal Fest. This was when that was still a thing. And they played too. And I saw her come out on the stage and I was like, I need to do that. Like I couldn't scream at all, but I was like, that's, that's what's happening. So yeah, that's more than one. That's good. I like that. I agree with a lot of those uh, at the gates. I still uh, go back to that very frequently. Vox and Hops is about hanging out with my metal friends talking about their lives, music and craft beer. What do you have on your side there? Did you manage to find some craft beer in Vegas? Well, um, like I mentioned, it's not that apocalyptic here. Actually, Vegas is very chill, even when it's in business. So uh, I was able to get some beer. And um, although I went kind of literally fruity, I have the mango cart, so um, which is like a fruity wheat ale. But I'm from Wisconsin, and there is a lot uh, of like Belgian style, like the fruity, like the the cherry with the the wheat and all of these ty- and the raspberry and all this type of stuff. So I just I really um, got like those infusions of the fruit so i love the mango cart mango cart and uh, who's that made by golden road brewing beautiful on my side i went with a it's becoming a classic of mine i really enjoy it it's a uh, noctum artisan Barassar. all of their cans have these these really cute cats on them i was just gonna say that can is so awesome yeah this is a uh, oscar HMS Arc Royale. I don't know what that is. It is uh, 7%. It is uh, mostly hopped with Sabro and Mosaic, which are my our two favorite hops. It's an IPA. It's uh, absolutely delicious. Uh, are you a craft beer enthusiast, having come from Wisconsin, those wheat beers? Is it something that you still actively search out now? Well, I'm more of a wine person than a beer person, um, as far as like that level of nerdery, <laughs> you know? Um, but I really, uh, can appreciate a good beer. I, I'm kind of opposite of you. I'm, I don't like hoppiness that much. I don't like, uh, IPAs very much. I do really like Belgian style things. And, um, I like like yeast wheats and things like Francis Connor as a classic favorite, you know, um, or like, again, like sort of the Belgian cherry with the wheat or the raspberry. So I definitely got the appreciation for that from um, living in Wisconsin, because certainly all sorts of uh, European immigrants settled there. And so there's certainly a lot of breweries still. There's even some beers that you can only get in Wisconsin that they won't mass produce. <laughs> and so uh, there, some people, you know, seek those out and things like that. But I, I don't like the cold. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I can hang with some beer. It's brutal today. We woke up to snow here, believe it or not. End of April mm. in Montreal. Yeah. It's, it's just... Well, that sounds like Montreal, It just right? never ends here. Uh, take me to joining that first band. When you joined that first band, was it still with an operatic voice or how did you, had you started to delve into the more extreme vocals? So the first band, I didn't do any extreme vocals. I actually didn't understand what was being done in the extreme vocals. And I, I joined my first band right as soon as I got to college, pretty much. Because I went to college for music, and that's where all the nerds, I mean, all the me- that's where all the metal nerds are, right? Is in the music department. <laughs> so, or somewhere in the art department or something at college, pretty much. Um, and so all these guys were like, you know, the dream theater nerds. Like, they're the really, like, prog nerds, the metal nerds. And um, this band um, wanted a singer, and... You know, they were like, we're trying to be like the gathering and this and that. And I was like, okay. And I couldn't really do what's called belting, like our regular rock singing. Hey, you know, I couldn't really do that, actually. (laughs) I couldn't really do that well, super well, till maybe like a couple years after college, even though I definitely started doing it at that time in these bands. But my range was very limited um, I didn't have a lot of control and I certainly couldn't do harsh vocals. So I'm usually really transparent about the things I've had to learn over the years. Since I teach them, I try to make people understand that um, this is not stuff that I just woke up and did one day. <laughs> so it takes some practice. You have to keep practicing. I s- screamed oh, for the first time, what was it, on Monday or Sunday, a few days ago. Uh, and I hadn't screamed since, since when? July. Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah, it was horrible. I was so mad at myself. And <laughs> Was it like... <laughs> no, no, that's it like works. My it, first it works, one. but <laughs> it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't where I, I wanted it to be. So I have to definitely push that, that everyone, if you want to keep something in shape, you got to use it. That's the thing. It's like you got to scrape the dust off of it. Yeah, before tour, like I have to do a certain thing where I build the set up. And now in this band, it's almost all clean singing. And I find that to be much more challenging, honestly, um, for me personally than the harsh vocals. And so I have now decided that I just need to practice more regularly. Like, Like I just need to be like running sets regularly for that level. That's how difficult I find it. So you're right. No matter how you, you know, I'm when I'm referring to my first band, I'm literally talking, you know, like 20 years ago. So um, this is 20 years of practice and I'm still like, I need to practice more. <laughs> That's the life you're leading, you know? Well, so. I say it on the podcast. If you ever think that you've made it, that you're done, then you should stop. That's pretty much it. If you're not, you know, you know, here's where it really hit me. Um, I know this is a stupid show, but the mask singer, the first season, I really liked it the first couple of seasons. And now I'm kind of like, it's just so much going on, but um, the first season, Donny Osmond was one of the guys, right? And so this is a guy who's, he's, he was 62, because I was like looking up their ages, because two of the top three were like in their 60s and their 70s, Donny Osmond and Gladys Knight. And I was like, okay, so these older people are, are wasting like everyone in the competition, just like crushing them. And dude, do, neither one of these people, they have like Grammys, they have like tons of awards, they literally have like lived their career, they have no reason to do it other than the love of the art, like literally no reason to be on this show at all, especially being older, they could just be retired, they have money, you know, they just love the art, right? And this guy, he said he was like going home and watching himself 
Donny Osmond and, and like critiquing himself at home at like 62 years old after like he was performing since he was a little kid. So like maybe 55 years of stage experience, more stage experience than I could fit in my current lifetime. And yet he's still sitting there <laughs> analyzing everything he did. You know what I mean? And trying to win this contest and trying to improve and trying to get better. So that's really shows you like that's how the pros do it. You know, if you want to be that good, like that's the detail you have to go to and you never stop. You could be 50 years of practice and you're still like watching yourself like, yeah, this is I need to do this more. I need to change that. Never satisfied. That's the the secret to to a great a great talent to take us take us to starting to teach people you had people teach you you how did you teach yourself to scream where did you get yourself did you have mentors or did you just just develop it yourself yeah i mean i learned to scream in the early 2000s so people um who were working on this type of research and things were just barely able to scratch the surface they're just barely coming around so there wasn't a lot of uh, information on harsh vocals but i started doing harsh vocals about um Maybe two years after I started college, which at that point, I had a couple years of classical training under my belt. And I knew much more clearly how to support with the air properly in any style. I kind of had to place certain sounds. So I just started making, you know, the, well, what I would call like a false chord scream, um, but just sort of impersonating like Angela Gasso and stuff. And placing it in the same place I would place classical and squeezing it from the same place in the abs. And I was never going hoarse. I could feel the tingling of the tissues flapping around, which now we know a lot about. I could show you an endoscopy and you can watch someone's false cords flap. You know, but but I just knew that from knowing what I knew about the voice, that it's very delicate. If you're doing something wrong, you will go hoarse. It's You can't just... A lot of people are under the impression that you can just do something wrong and then wake up one day and be like, my voice is fucked. You know, like it doesn't work like that. Like if you're doing something wrong, you're going to notice before the set's like even over. Like you're not even going to make it through this. You know, you're going to feel it's going to feel terrible. And so I definitely um, knew that I wasn't going hard. So I, I could just go right back to clean singing without any problems. So I was like, well, I guess I don't know what's going on. But I was like, I know I'm doing something right. And, I, and then I knew that's the other thing. I was starting to listen to all these bands that even in the early 2000s had already been around a while. Carcass, At the Gates, Opeth, you know, um, In Flames. And so I was like, oh, OK, all these people have been doing harsh vocals already like a decade at that point. Like they'd already been around a while, between five to 10 years already. And, and I was like, so the, there has to be something that they're doing right. So like just kind of deducing from what I knew about vocal knowledge, I was like, you can't just do something for 10 years and not hurt yourself. It doesn't work like that. So I knew before I knew the research that, uh, well, before the research came out, that whatever I was doing, it was pretty much okay. And I was right, thankfully. <laughs> but I remember I brought my... <laughs> I brought my 72-year-old opera coach, uh, Wages of Sin, the arch enemy, and she was like, I just don't even know what is happening here. Like, That's hilarious. <laughs> and she just, it was hilarious. Like, I can't even believe I did that in hindsight. I had a, I had a, I had a Broadway, I was taught Broadway vocals, and I, I brought her my first demo 
and I left it in her mailbox after after I, I wasn't her student anymore. So I never got to see her reaction. That's but. hilarious. Yes, I don't think. Yeah, um, yeah Carlene <laughs> passed my teacher because she would be like very, very old, like 90 now. But um, I don't think she, I was already in metal bands. So I think she already knew that <laughs> that was going to be the trajectory. She had lost you. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I was actually quite good classical singer. And I'm a contralto, which is a rare voice type. And they were always like, you're going to have a career. And I was just like, I do not want a career in classical singing. It's just brutal. So, nope. <laughs> not for me. Having interviewed uh, Enrico DiLorenzo of Hideous Divinity, who is a voice doctor in Italy, and having done all these uh, studies, as you were mentioning, with the, the, the camera down the throat. And he says that a lot of the times, uh, most of the patients that he's seeing are actually opera singers and pop singers and they're the ones that are getting hurt more than us death metal singers so that's very interesting yes because this is exactly what i've heard from several doctors and uh, because the reason is is because when we're making most of our sounds they sound very extreme but in general we're just using tissues to just flap around and create white noise and um it's very benign <laughs> when you actually look at it it sounds extreme but as far as like what it does to your actual vocal folds, it almost does nothing to them. And so what's beautiful is if you're doing it correctly, you are not actually putting your vocal folds through the paces that a clean singing person is. And that's also, too, why I feel as though being in a band that's more clean singing is much more work. It's a lot more stamina to mitigate. This is why, like, you know, we adjust the tuning and things and... It's a lot. It's a lot to deal with to make sure that that clean voice isn't straining. There's just so much with clean singers. It can be insane. Yeah. Take, take me to, to coming to the point where you felt comfortable teaching people. Um, I started teaching people really early. Like as soon as I had like, um, I've, well, I've been singing and doing musical theater and things since I was like 10 and I always took piano since then and everything. So I started teaching people basic voice lessons like when I was like 18 in the my parents' living room and after the summers um, between college. They were very annoyed they <laughs> because the piano is so loud and I have like like young students, you know, so it was like more basic things. And then I taught off and on continuously for years, even if I did um, other jobs or careers. And then I... Um, about five years ago, I decided to do it all on Skype. And about three years ago is when I started doing YouTube stuff. And now my full-time job entirely is just coaching people. Um, and um, it's great, though, because once I moved it to Skype, because even people that live in town here, like say I have, I have clients in Vegas, but... It's still, that's like a 20-minute drive each way, you know, that's 40 minutes added to your lesson time. So people still prefer Skype, you know, so, yeah. I'm discovering it with this, that, that I would uh, go downtown, go into the craft beer bar, wait for the artist, hang out with them for a bit, finish my beer, and then, of course, we'd have another beer. Yes. Hang out then, and then we'd, I'd go to the show, blah, 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 come back home, I'd be hungover. Now it's like just an hour in out and that's it. It's uh, <laughs> there's some That's what I'm saying. There's yeah. some perks to the internet. But there's also the you had such a broader reach because if you're teaching such a niche 
technique style of vocals that people want all across the globe your your student pool to choose from became much bigger which is very interesting yeah, it's really interesting. So I think that's part of why I'm in business because I have like a, 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 glo- a global uh, during the virus, you know, because I have a global economy so to work from. And, and uh, certainly you can find enough people in the world to study with you during the time being. But um, yeah, it's really shows you to the power of sort of an international language, what a time we're living in where we do. Uh, have almost an international language with English um, because my folks from all over the world, I mean, I speak English and Spanish, but I, I don't teach in Spanish, really. I don't think that, I don't know if I can translate like the terminology exactly. I think I just end up, half the time, you just end up using the English word anyway uh, for things like anatomy. So it, a lot of the terms don't translate anyway. So, um, or there simply is no word that exists. You know what I'm saying? You just have to use the English word. So it really shows you, uh, people blow my mind uh, how fluent they have to be to study in a lesson with me. And I'll have people as far as China, like some really very different, the English would be a very different second language. And so it, they, I'm actually impressed by all the people who study with me and their ability to learn such an in-depth subject in a second language and how that has changed the whole world. Um, and that's just fascinating, you know. So, Who is your typical student? Um, actually, most of the people who study with me are professionals. Um, they are usually... Uh, I have more serious folks working with me. I won't coach anyone under 18 Largely because, you know, young people do not have impulse control and we're talking about like harsh vocals. I mean, that's a scientifically proven fact that teenagers brains like don't have the impulse control development. So you're asking someone to they have to be able to mitigate risk to uh, an adult's perspective so that they can um, weigh risks and stop if it hurts and things like that. Um, so I won't coach very young folks. And um, even the people under 21, I'm kind of like, you know. So most of the people I teach, though, are well over 21. And they're usually career people that tour. I have a tremendous amount of voice actors. I'll get producers, producers who are trying to learn to do the sounds so they can make their own music. I've coached a few of the bigger YouTubers. Um, and so people are just really the working serious people who kind of want to get down. I do have beginners, but they're uh, beginners are always welcome. But there's usually somebody like serious that has a reason for investing the time and the effort because it's when you get up to the level we're talking about with the harsh vocals, you know, it's advanced study and you got to really want to to put it in there, you know, to do it. So, um, yeah. You don't wait from July till April. It doesn't work, people. <laughs> no, right. Exactly. Exactly. So. <laughs> Take me to where you find your content. I know that for myself, I've, with the podcast, I've become so obsessive of having a backlog of content to the point where I have a little bit too much right now. But I can't stop ah. myself. I always want more. Uh, how do you That's generate great. new content and how do you find enough hours in a day to give lessons and keep putting stuff out to keep your YouTubers happy? I sometimes don't, to be honest with you. Like, so, um, I've just now recently gotten to kind of a content flow and it's taken me a long time to get there. Um, 
Because it does. It can take hours for me to edit a, a video, particularly if I'm trying to make it look a little more interesting. I do everything myself. I have zero help um, as far as editing, recording, filming, like everything. I do totally in-house myself. What I do is I'll be up till midnight. You know, I mean, it's kind of just the way it is. It's like... Um, the most important thing to remember is even if you can't get content out like regularly, I'm I've been super bad about that. And I'm just starting to get into a flow about like starting to have a formula where I can do it all the time. Um, but it's just still keep putting it out. Just keep doing it when you have time. Like it's sort of like a diet. Don't if you don't do it every day, don't quit. Because if you make it 15 or 20 days out of the month, that's still half the month that you did, didn't eat that way or whatever. It's still a success. And I think a lot of people are too obsessed with like, if they don't make a certain schedule that they've sort of failed or whatever, just keep putting content out. Even if it, even if you can't quite get it on an even schedule, people will keep coming, you know, and you just keep offering valuable information. That's the thing. If you have a valuable information to come um, the formula, it's less dependent on that if you have quality content. Um, but certainly being consistent and having quality content is much better. So I'm getting up to that level finally. But like I'm tracking an album right now. I'm making new content. Um, I'm editing like a big collaboration. I'm doing lessons like all day. So I'll be up until like last night I was recording literally till midnight, you know, and so that's just my days. I will just go all day long, basically. And that's how I do it. <laughs> so, well, well th thank you for taking in some time to drink a beer with me. This is your break. Yeah, this is great. This actually fit. Yeah, no, this is this is wonderful. This is a nice break. <laughs> the um, tell me about recording yourself. I always work with my guitarist Christian Donaldson. I'm so comfortable working with him. He's the best vocal producer that I've ever worked with. Not that I've worked with too many. So, so how do you deal with recording yourself? Do you feel comfortable with that? Um, you know, honestly, the best stuff I have done has been with the producer. Like, for example, um, Luna Mortis, we did a record with Jason Sukoff. And uh, yes, shout out to Sukoff. Yeah. And and uh, to this day, even 10 years later, dude, I was at NAMM and Jeff Loomis comes up to me and he's like, I still listen to that record like every week i was like what and it was like ten, it, it just blows my mind people will still tell me how they love how that vocal sound even like a decade later and um you know jason acts all goofy on the internet but he's not in, in the studio like <laughs> he put me through the ringer and he could sing just as good or better than everyone he has in there pretty much um I, he certainly sing and scream better than me um and so he would grab the mic out of my hand and be like, no, this is what's supposed to be there. And like, just like nail a harmony or nail the part or whatever. And he'd be like, oh, your few wow. cents flex. He also has perfect pitch, which um, that, you know, so you're you're sitting there. He just put me through the ringer. But at one point he was like, look, you're like a trained singer. So I can get you to do enough takes till it's actually in tune. It's going to save me a lot of time, mm -hmm. you know, on, the, on this. So you're going to do it, <laughs> like suck it up and do it. And uh, so, but now, like a decade later, um, I'm a lot more serious at, by myself at home. Um, we have an amazing guy, this guy, Chris Collier, who's going to mix the record. Um, he's super good. He did a fantastic text, test mix for us. And um, he gave me this um, Slate virtual mic. That's what I'm doing the podcast through right now. 
Um, so I've been doing everything through that. And um, now I am a lot more equipped to assess objectively if my vocals are good or not. If you're new to vocals and you haven't been with a lot of producers, I don't think recording yourself is good or realistic because you're going to accept takes that are garbage. Mm. That You know, you have to be really self-critical. And um, so but what I do is I'm just very objective now. I've gotten zen about it. It's taken me years, but you have to get zen about listening to it like a vocal producer and just saying, okay, this is out of tune or this you know, kind of feel is good or isn't good. You can't bullshit yourself at all. If you're ready to do that and you're a real experienced vocalist, like as far as like actual tracking, the gain, bouncing the tracks, like I'm super good at that. I do all my own editing. I'll do pretty much everything except for uh, tune it and like vocal line it. I'll let the mixer do that. Um, but comping, editing, the whole shebang, I'll do the whole deal. And you've got to approach it like, if this was not me, if this was a professional record, would I accept this take? And you have to be super honest with yourself. And it takes me a long time and a lot of tracks. Um, but if you're, you can get to that point, you can get zen about it. I, I would like to go to, in the studio with somebody, but um, my band is kind of spread out at the moment. And we just kind of felt like we weren't quite there yet for this record. So good. Everyone's excited to hear the new helium prime yeah it's gonna be cool tell me about uh this is something that i like to make a point of whenever i have a female guest i am fed up of these female fronted packages of uh that stupid question of what is it like to be a girl in metal <laughs> i know everyone asks you and i you know and this is not my way of asking it yes i think that it should, it should just be finished and gone I just had Cheney Crab on the podcast. The episode came out a few days ago from Entios, and I asked her the same thing. How does she feel about this archaic um, classification? It's weird because, you know, I've been doing this so long. So I was the only girl like 15 years ago, and it's so surprising to me. We're going to do a festival in Vancouver, yeah, um, it keeps getting rescheduled, so fingers crossed. I mean, it's out of their control. It's just whatever the world decides, right? But I keep looking at the lineup, and again, there's still... It's not the... Uh, this guy's an amazing promoter. He's awesome. It's uh, just sort of the scene's fault, if you will. I think maybe there's maybe one other female, like, musician, period, not even these things. So it's like, I. it still blows my mind that there are not a lot of women fronting the bands, that there's not a lot of women um, in the bands, and that there's not... There's certainly a little bit more than there was 15 years ago, but it's, like, not very much more. Like, I'm still, like... I'm I'm really pleased to see more, like, all-female bands coming out. But, right, it should be objective at this point. Um, like, every other job and career, we pretty much are have evolved to objectivity, so at this point, I think um, female fronted as a genre is very dated. I think at first, in places like Europe, it kind of helped uh, propel some of the symphonic bands or whatever. Um, but I think now it makes no sense because it's not actually a genre. You have, you know, again, like men are in multiple genres, women can be in multiple genres. But it depends on the place and the country. You know, in a place like Japan, where they still are evolving some of their ideas towards women, even though they have a lot of female musicians, um, the questions in the interviews are still like that. I was in there with White Empress, and 
my bass player, Chella, was there, and they did literally ask her the question, you know, like, what is it like to be a female bass player? <laughs> so in certain countries where things are still evolving, people are definitely still asking those silly questions. But as the, as it is good because we're starting to see more people of color in the metal scene. We're starting to see more women in the scene. But um, I think people are getting more objective about everything and not like, oh, what's it like to be this kind of person in a band? You know, insert minority here. It could be female. It could be ethnicity. Um, you know, but at the same time, um, yeah, it's so silly to have it be labeled female fronted. It, 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 it did and didn't do a service because on the one hand, you had things like female uh, metal fests in Europe that did very well and did give a lot of exposure to certain bands. But on another uh, hand, it now that that's kind of come and gone, I think that that has created sort of a problem. Now it's sort of like, at, f- at first it was like, well, we can't have a female-fronted band on this package. Like, if you go with Arch Enemy, does it have to be all three female-fronted bands? You know what I mean? People started doing that, and then that kind of screwed everybody. But now I do see more even packages um, and things like that, and people looking at it less. I, half the time people think I'm a guy anyway. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. When I when I do my clean singing too, they they think I'm um Sozos, the singer before me, the male singer, um, for Helium Prime. But uh no, but in all honesty, um I'm glad to see it kind of evolve. I do wish there was more women still. I don't get what the barrier is. Uh I don't see a lot of women in recording either, and I, I don't understand that either. So uh, that's gonna take uh people like you to be uh the flame to push them towards it so that's good yeah just keep it coming girls you're all welcome yes let's balance out this this, yes. this party and all, all the minorities please let's let's bring it all out one last question um what is your hangover cure oh okay well uh one of the best things you can do is emergency i don't know if you've ever have you ever heard of this yes people have said that yeah Yes. So, yes. So that's honestly one of the best things. The problem is it's like super acidic. So it's kind of a hit and miss. Like if you can get it down, (laughs) (laughs) emergency will be the best. And um, uh, I also think cannabis, any sort of or if you can find an anti-emetic like a um, Dramamine or something. Uh, something like that that will reduce like the nauseating feeling, and then then um, so you could do that without cannabis, obviously, Dramamine or something like that, motion sickness medicine, and then emergency, and I think you'll be good to go. That works really good. <laughs> Spoken like a pro, Mary. Thank you so so much for taking some time, sharing a craft beer with me, talking about your life, your music. It's always fun. Uh, next time, hopefully together. That'd be great. Let me know when you guys tour Vegas. I will definitely come see you. That'll be wonderful. Um, so hopefully within the next year or so, tours will happen again. I hope so, too. Uh, funny enough, I interviewed Brittany Slays, and you were upstairs, and I didn't even know it. Yes. Oh, really? Was that? That must have been on the... Uh... Piranha Bar in Montreal. That little bar upstairs there. Oh, yes. So that must have been on the tour with we did with Striker. That's right. Or, yes, yes. Um, um, yes. Well, you know what? Actually, I think Helian Prime, we did not do the Canadian oh, dates on that okay. tour, so I wasn't okay, even there. there. 
Yeah, so you didn't actually miss me because I was like, wait a minute. We didn't go to Canada, um, like visa stuff. So we missed like five days of that tour, I think. Um, but yeah, that was a great package. Britney's amazing vocalist. Um, technically, performance-wise, it was to go out on tour with her and then, and Dan from Striker. I was like, oh my God, I have my work cut out for me as a vocalist. I've got to bring it every night. They were both amazing. So. Yeah, they're the best. And both Vox and Hops alumni. <laughs> Yes. Well, I can see why. So. <laughs> Cheers. Well, thank you so much for having me, Matt. Thank you. I appreciate it. Cheers. Hey, thank you so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. It's always fun to sit down with extremely talented vocalists that know exactly how their voice works. It's it's always an honor, and I love these chats. It's, so we could have gone on for way longer. It's basically how Vox and Hop started. I would just always pick other vocalists' brains and ask them how about their technique, about how they warm up, and it, it always ended up being an interesting conversation. So a uh, huge shout-out to Mary. If uh, anyone out there wants to maintain or improve their vocal techniques the best person to go do that with is mary and you can contact her via the links that i'm putting in the description of this podcast i hope that you guys have a great weekend i hope you get to go outside i hope you get to enjoy some fresh air i will be back at you next week with three more episodes one on monday one on wednesday and another on friday but until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hopsets. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.